Would you please open to Genesis chapter 12? Genesis chapter 12. Now, for those of you wondering, Genesis, that's the very first book in the Bible. Yeah. Uh-huh. Now, you know, we kind of chuckle at that, but you know, during revival, you're going to have people who've never held a Bible in their lives. And Genesis, what is that? They'll think it's a car. I mean, there's a car named Genesis. So anyway, um, yeah, you know, we need to be ready to help people when it comes to finding things in the Bible. All right, Genesis chapter 12. I'm guessing you're there. Now, before we get into this, 25 years ago, I began listening to Pastor Dave Roberson's teaching. I'd never heard of him until 1996. And as I began listening to his teaching, what I really focused in on was what he taught about praying in tongues. Why it's so important, what is accomplished when you do it, the anointing that comes along with it, and so forth. And I couldn't get enough. Then, in uh, March of 1997, I attended my first conference there at his church. And it was, just, it was just incredible. You know, hanging on every word that was taught. And he wasn't the only uh, person that ministered, but, you know, when he would minister, you know, I'm, I'm just soaking it in. And I'm listening and receiving. And, and by that time, I had begun putting into practice the whole concept of praying in tongues. Because I had heard enough to know this is what it will do. And he didn't just say it. You know, he walked us through Scripture and showed us, here's what happens when you pray in tongues. Here are the results. So I began to do that. And it was at the March 1997 conference that I first met uh, Tim Stemple, who was on staff there at the church, and Gary Carpenter, and also met Pastor Bronk Flint. Well, over the years those relationships have become stronger. But they weren't the only ones that I met. There were many others that I met. Uh, there were some people I met while out there. I thought they lived there, but come to find out, no, they were there for the conference as well. They lived some other state. So, every conference, and for a while they had a conference in March and in October, then later on they just went October only, but... I haven't missed a, um, either a March uh, or, or October conference. You know, every year I've been out there at least once. And what I noticed is that there was an excitement in these conferences, an excitement over what was being taught, the whole aspect of praying in tongues and, boy, you know, building yourself up and the anointing and, and all this. And a lot of people talked about uh, it, well, it, there was a like a, a catchphrase. It's called doing the message, which was primarily about praying in tongues, but it also included the uh, meditation in Scripture, uh, you know, worship, fasting. But again, there was a great emphasis on praying in tongues and the change that could be produced. So people would talk about this, and again, there was this excitement level and. When a conference would end, I mean, you know, we were kind of, we were, 
In a way, we were glad it was over, but we wish it would continue because it was just so good. All the ministry and the fellowship. And over the years, uh, more and more people started attending. And at times, I'm guessing maybe they had close to 500 people in the room. And, uh, I mean, there it was... We were shoulder to shoulder, just jam-packed, and it, it may have been over 500, maybe closer to 600, but I mean, it was just packed. And, you know, again, the talk, you know, doing the message, and oh yeah, pressing in, and all this other. And But then, I noticed, there were some people that weren't attending as frequently. And some of them, were in ministry, pastoring maybe, or itinerant ministries where they were, you know, traveling and ministering. And then there were other people that weren't in ministry, per se. Uh, they became less frequent. And in those kind of situations, you're always going to run into people, you know, they, they tell you, well, I'm a pastor. And they're not pastoring, never have pastored, but they call themselves a pastor. I'm an evangelist. But they're they aren't preaching anywhere. I mean, okay, well maybe that's a faith confession. I don't know. But I noticed fewer and fewer people were attending. I kept attending. Pastor Bronk Flint kept attending, and there were a few others that kept attending. But some didn't. And it it concerned me. I wonder what's going on? Well, you know, you hang around long enough, you start to hear things. There were some people who they had been really into what was being taught. You know, do the message. Got to keep praying in tongues, praying in tongues, praying in tongues, meditating in Scripture. I mean, they were really into it. Then I hear how that they, well... We're going off in a different direction. And quite frankly, I never found out what different direction some of these folks were going. I mean, one person even said, well, you know, we're going a different direction than uh, Pastor Dave in the prayer center. But I ne- nobody ever explained to me, what is this different direction? Because if it's more effective than what we're hearing taught, I'd kind of like to know what it is. The problem is, in Scripture... I couldn't find anything more effective, more change-producing. In some cases, I even heard of people that were backsliding. When I say backsliding, I mean some of them, they got into some pretty nasty stuff. And yet, these were people who talked about doing the message. Well, some folks said they may have told you they were spending time praying in tongues, but they really weren't. They just said they were, and they were trying to, you know, convince themselves they were, whatever, but they really weren't doing it as much as they said. Because if they were, the change would be there. And I thought, well, yeah, that that makes sense. And I heard a report, well, one situation. I mean, this lady actually contacted me 
said, um, you know, my husband, he's, you know, he, he listened to these sermons. He listened to you, he listened to Pastor Dave, listened to other media's. He's, he's there in his office at home, listening, 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 praying in tongues, praying in tongues, you know, hour after hour after hour. He won't do anything to help me around the house. You know, he just dumps everything on me. And I'm thinking, well, that's wrong because a husband's got a responsibility to help with the laundry, help with the cleaning, help with, I mean, it, you know, that's part of the responsibility. And any husband that tells you otherwise is a fool and a half. It shows you he doesn't know what's in the Word. And, um, and she also told me some other things she found out, and I'm thinking, good glory. So here was a guy, and this is just one example of many, who was spending time listening to the sermons, praying in tongues, meditating in the Word. Well, I don't know how much meditation he did. I mean, If you don't know how to really meditate, you're not going to do it. But nevertheless... Here's one person that somebody else testified. You know, I live with this guy. I know what he's doing. Why isn't the change there? Why isn't it happening? Why isn't he doing what he's supposed to do according to Scripture? And he wasn't the only one. So the the longer that I'm thinking about this and hearing these stories from other people, other people who were saying, yeah, you know, they've been praying in tongues and all that, I, I no longer questioned whether or not they were really praying in tongues. Because the more that I got into this, the more I realized there's something else going on. And that's what we want to take a look at tonight. Hopefully, um, you know, people hearing this aren't going to get excessively offended. But it is what it is. Now, in in Genesis chapter 12, let's just take a look at some things. Because what we're going to read exemplifies perfectly this, everything I was sharing. See, what's happened now, as far as the prayer center is concerned, you know, Pastor Dave, um, he hasn't been ministering now for quite some time. And he's been battling uh, physical things. He hasn't been ministering. And fewer and fewer people have been attending the conferences. And not only that, fewer and fewer people are now attending the Family Prayer Center on a regular basis. And I'm thinking, you know, what's wrong with you folks? And I hope hope some of them are watching this. Because if you're a family... You're supposed to stick together. And if God says, I want you in such and such a church, and you're there, then just because the pastor is going through a battle, you don't bail out on everybody else, and you don't bail out on the pastor. You know, when when he was there, you expected him to be available for counseling or prayer or whatever. Then when he needs you lifting his arms up and you leave, good heavens, what kind of a hypocrite are you? You were just there for the show. That's all. You weren't truly committed 
And, you know, that's going to be between you and God. Well, anyway, I'm still going to the conferences. And I know Pastor Dave won't be there unless that healing fully manifests. And you know what? I'm okay with that from the perspective of I know when I go out there, I'm still going to get good ministry. I know I'm still going to hit get quality teaching. I know it's going to be there. So I'm not concerned. And besides that, God... I, I mean, I'll say it like this. God, even though I'm pastoring here, God connected me with that family, the Prayer Center family in Tulsa. I'm a part of that family, even though I'm not physically living in Tulsa. So I have a responsibility to support what God is doing there. And I do. Well, getting back to all of this, you know, like, okay, well, what's going on? With these folks, they say they pray in tongues all the time, and uh, they're in the Word. And but then, why do they start drifting off in different directions? And why do some of them backslide and get into sin, do things they shouldn't? We're not talking about somebody who was only involved with, you know, quote the message for a year. We're talking about people who've been involved for quite a period of time. So why does this happen? Well. Let's start here in Genesis chapter 12. Verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So... Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. Let's take a look here. First off, we see he was seventy-five years old. Now, we have some older people in this congregation, but there aren't a whole lot that are seventy-five or older. Some, (laughs) but not a whole lot. Some of us are working on that, (laughs) headed in that direction. Nevertheless, God spoke to him and said, If you will do such and such, here will be the results. Not only will I, verse 2, do something great in your life and bless you, but your obedience to my instructions will ultimately result in me working through you to bless other people. See this? So, he departed. He stepped out. Now, he was 75 years old. and We all know the story here in this. So, the moment that he took that first step away from home, at that moment in the natural, he was not blessed based on what God said he would do to him. He was not yet a great nation. And he was not yet somebody through whom God was blessing other people. Well, we look over in chapter 15. And in chapter 15, it says, verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? 
And the steward of my house is this Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. So in other words, Abram is thinking about what God said. And Abram knows, okay, I'm, I'm older. And I don't have a natural child, a son, but God, you said you're going to bless me and through me bless the whole world and, uh, you know, that I would be a great nation, etc. and so forth. But as far as I can tell, the only way that's going to happen is through somebody who's really not my son, he's servant. Well, verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This, this Eleazar, shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he, the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. See that? So what we see then in verse 6, well, back up a little bit. God said, I hear what you're saying, Abram, and I do understand your concern. You know, you're getting older. But I want you to know something. Your servant is not going to be your heir. You're going to have a natural born son. And that son shall be your heir. Because see, what Abram becomes Abraham, what he realized was, I will never live long enough to see all the earth blessed through me. So he understood this is going to come through my heir. I mean, it's going to work down through the generations. Something's going to happen. I'm not going to be around, but yet I don't have anybody through whom this can... I, I don't have anybody that will take me, everything I have as an inheritance and so forth. And so God says, all right, look, come out of your tent, look up, look up in the sky. You see all the stars? Can you count them? Well, the obvious answer was no. If you have never been out in the middle of nowhere on a cloudless night, when I say out in the middle of nowhere, I don't mean like down in Bellbrook. I am talking about out in the middle of nowhere away from everything. No lights, nothing. On a cloudless night and you look up and I'm telling you, you've never seen the sky the way the sky looks like that. It's almost like, I mean it literally is 3D, but it's a 3D that can't be described until you see it. And it's almost like you could reach up and, and touch the stars. It is incredible. Well, that's the way it was for him. They don't have any street lights. And he's looking up at a sky, and God says, Can you count the stars? Well, Abraham knew better than to even try to start counting the stars. He's like, No, I can't. And God said, All right, that's how your seed shall be. And verse 6 says that he believed in the Lord, and God counted it to him for righteousness. In other words, when he believed it, we don't know if he said, you know what, Lord, I believe you. What we do know is that God looked at his heart and saw that he believed 
what God had told him. And God, it says here, counted it to him for righteousness. Now this is really important because what that means is this wasn't just a surface confession. Oh yeah, I believe it. Oh yeah, I believe it. I, that's, that's right. You know, that, that's me. No, there was something in him that had come into agreement with what God said. He believed it. And so God counted it unto him as righteousness. Now look in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid, it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. Now, how old was Abram when he left home? Seventy-five. Well, they've been there now ten years. That means he is how old? Eighty-five. So he, verse 4, Abram went in at Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid unto thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. Now jump to verse 16. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Four score and six years old. He's how old? He's 86. Okay, now. Here's what's happened. He hearkened unto the voice of his wife, giving precedence to what she said over what God said. Now, when's the last time we heard something like that? How about Genesis chapter 3? Remember that? God said, Adam, because you listened to your wife and hearkened unto her words and did what she said. Because of you, the curse has been released. In this, it's the same thing. Now look here. Hagar says, or or Sarai says in verse 2, The Lord hath restrained me from bearing. And she knows that how? Where did she come up with that? There's nothing in Scripture that says, and God moved upon her that she could not bear children. Now she's blaming God. Now listen, even though Abram had received this promise, now you know Abram would have told her what God said. But she says, no, God has restrained me. It's been ten years, Abram. I thought you said God promised. I thought you said something was going to happen. Well, let's make it happen. She says, here's my handmaid, Hagar. You know, have a child through her. Well, that's what happened. Now, I'm not going to go off on a tangent on what happened with Ishmael as far as his descendants, but trust me, it hasn't gone well with the descendants of Isaac <laughs> with Ishmael. I mean, there's been conflict for centuries, okay? Now, 
we look over in chapter 17. Verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, now he was just 86 a moment ago, 13 years have passed between Genesis 16, 16 and Genesis 17, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and be thou perfect. Now look at verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, now he's changed his name, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell upon his face and laughed, said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? Now, he's 99 when God speaks this, so he knows it's going to be next year sometime. I'll be a hundred years old. Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. Now, in this verse 18, it's, it's, it's hard to tell if Abraham is questioning God at this point, or what? In other words, okay, well, if it doesn't work out with me, 100, and her, you know, at her age, 90, I mean, may Ishmael live forever. <laughs> but, God says, verse 19, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget, and I will make him a great nation. Now, why did God do that? See, Ishmael should never have been born. But why did God do that? Because he had a covenant with Abraham. And when Abraham made this request... Because God's his covenant partner, God honored it. There's so much we don't understand as Christians about this blood covenant that we have with God through Jesus. We take it for granted. Well, nevertheless, God continues and he says, But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. Now look over in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And you're going to see a reference to what we just read. And in Hebrews, I said Hebrews chapter 5, didn't I? Well, I shouldn't have said that. Um, how about if we just go to Hebrews somewhere? <laughs> yeah, this is embarrassing, isn't it? Anyway... God make oh, it's, uh, anyway, let me paraphrase just to save time here. I wrote the wrong thing down. Um, God made this statement in, in uh, referencing back to that event in Genesis where it said that the seed of the bondwoman, which is Hagar, shall not have the blessing. Shall not, in other words, what I plan to do cannot happen as a result of what is produced by the bondwoman. Follow me? Now, let's think about this. 
Because when we are living in this world as Christians, we have a lot of choices that are put before us. There are a lot of um, opportunities for us to do the right thing or do the wrong thing, and it doesn't even have to be sin. And it's up to us what we do. Now, a few moments ago I told you Hebrews chapter 5, and I was wrong. It's Galatians chapter... Yeah, it's Galatians uh, chapter 4. <laughs> Where I came up with Hebrews 5, I have no idea. And, um, and it's um, Galatians chapter 4, verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free. The free woman. Now... What's this talking about? As far as this message tonight is concerned, what's this talking about? When we are faced with those decisions, then we are going to make a decision, one way or the other. You either are active or you are inactive. It's one of the two. Regardless of the decision that is put before you. Now God has said that The son of the bondwoman, or the son of that which is enslaved, will not be the heir. Another way to say that is, the son of that which is enslaved is not how I will move to bring about my perfect will. And he says, you've got to leave that alone. Our soul, we are um, a three-dimensional creature. (laughs) Body, soul, and spirit. Our soul is the place of decision. Your spirit is not the place of decision. Your soul is the place of decision. Your soul makes all the decisions for your life, no matter what. However... Your soul is, it's basically just, it's there. And it receives information. And then it acts upon that information. Now that information, now we're talking here about Christians. That information comes from only two sources. Your spirit, your born again spirit, and this world. That's it. Those are the only two sources. Somebody might say, well, no, there's God. Yeah, God works through what? You're born again spirit. See what I'm saying? And so your soul receives input from the world. It doesn't have to be sin. It's just from natural things, the natural existence. And it also receives information from your spirit. Now, what we do is the actions that we take are totally dependent upon how our soul analyzes that information. Now, look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I kind of touched on this briefly Sunday night. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in verse 7, it says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. 
And in this verse, we see exactly what I'm talking about. Now, let me explain. For we walk. What is that? Walk. That is an action. That is a soul decision. For we walk. For we make a decision and take an action. And that action could be inaction. What are you doing about that? Well, I'm not doing anything about it. So what you're doing is nothing. But that's still a course of action. We walk by faith. Now what does that mean, walk by faith? We're walking by our new nature. The information processed or produced or passed on to our soul from our spirit. We make our decisions by the information provided to our our soul by our spirit, not by sight or not by the things of the flesh, the things of the natural. So again, don't even think in terms of sin. Just think in terms of everything that's involved in this natural world. So here it is, my soul, which makes a decision resulting in my walking. Now, it takes information from my spirit. It also takes information from this world, the natural things. And then, my soul which is greatly influenced by, or it is um, the emotions, or or a strong part of the soul, we know that. Well, then a course of action is decided. That is the walk that I now produce in my life. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Now, all humans are spirits housed in flesh. You know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. All humans are spirits housed in flesh. We as Christians, sometimes we kind of forget what it was like before we got born again and started attending church. Well, everybody, everybody, it doesn't matter who they are, lost or born again, everybody has faith. Everybody has faith. Now, some folks might question that, but look over in Ephesians chapter 2. It's important to really get a hold of this. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you lost people saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them, that we should make decisions to live in accordance with the good works. How do I know what the good works are? That information is fed to my soul through my spirit. For by grace are you saved through faith. You were not, at one point in your life, you were not born again. You were not saved. But then you heard the message of grace, if you will. The faith in you as a lost person acted upon that message of you must be born again, called upon the name of the Lord in sincerity, and you were born again. Now, we're not going to turn to this and read it, but over in Hebrews chapter 11, it has this list of all these people who by faith did this, who by faith did that, who by faith accomplished this, and so on and so forth. 
None of those people were born again in Hebrews 11. And yet they had faith. And they, they had faith and they acted upon the Word of God that they knew and heard at that time and they accomplished what God told them to do. You know, Noah, for example, he had faith. God said, it's going to be a flood, everybody's going to die, build an ark. He said, okay. Faith. And he accomplished great things. Those folks in Hebrews chapter 11 and many others accomplished great things for God through faith. So even lost people have faith. Just like born-again people have faith, but there's a difference. The difference is that born-again people have a spirit of life that is compatible with God's Word. In John chapter three, or John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus made the statement, My words are spirit and they are life. Now, in a way that we truly do not understand with our human mind, this book, the Bible, is a written form of the life of God. Now, I don't understand that. I mean, how in the world can God do that? Because I can find the same words in other books. I can find the same words in trashy books. But yet, there's something about this. It's almost like God has taken all these words and He's put them together here and then laid His hands on them and imparted life unto these words. Now, I know that sounds really strange, but I don't know how else to explain it. Words of life, right here. Well, see, my born-again spirit is compatible with the life that is in this Word. The life that is this Word. Therefore, when Jesus made the statement, the works that I do, you shall do also if you believe. Now, the, the reason that's possible is because once I believe in Him and I'm born again, I now have the same spiritual life in me he had in him when he was here on earth. That spiritual life can now be anointed with power by the Holy Spirit. Now we know that the Holy Spirit moved on people throughout Scripture. Like the Old Testament, he, he would move on people. But he could never inhabit people the way he inhabits people who are born again because we now have a spiritual life that has come directly from God. And so now we are compatible not only with the life in the printed Word of God, we are compatible with the Holy Spirit because He is God. So now we can have this kind of unity with Him, meaning we're able to accomplish things with faith that go beyond what people in the Old Testament could accomplish. And yet, in the Old Testament, look at some of the things they did. There were signs, wonders, and miracles. The dead were raised in the Old Testament. And yet, we're able to accomplish more because what we can do is carry that anointing with us on a continual basis. Just like what Jesus did. Now, granted, it takes spiritual growth and maturity. However, when we get into Scripture... We find out what it takes to grow and mature into that greater spiritual anointing, growth, maturity, whatever you want to call it. Our spirit, our new nature, is fed and developed by God's Word. Now let me just kind of throw this out. When you pray in tongues, that is the Word of God. 
You understand that, right? Because it's the Holy Spirit producing the words and the language that you now are confessing as you pray. Get that? So you're speaking the Word of God. And you're, you're edifying yourself, as, we, as Scripture says, when you're praying in tongues. And you're building yourself up on your most holy faith when you're praying in tongues. So our born-again spirit, our new nature, is fed and developed by the Word of God. But, we still decide our course of action from our soul. Not our spirit. We are still deciding what to do out of our soul. Now, here's what happens. The more that we pray in tongues, along with worship, the Word, meditating in the Word and so forth, and and yes, even fasting, is the more that we are, if you will, facilitating an increase of the flow of um, the born-again nature, the, the, the life of God, into our soul. You know how some people, they, they don't feel good. They go to the doctor, they run tests, they say, oh, wow, your arteries are clogged up. We need to you know, clean out your arteries so you can get plenty of blood flow and, and so forth. And so they, they do the... You know, the cleaning out of the arteries. Sometimes they even do a bypass so that you get a better flow. And when you, when you talk to people who've gone through that, from what I've heard, they say, I feel like a new man. I, boy, I tell you, I haven't felt this good in a long time. You know, finally, I'm getting the oxygen flow and the blood flow and so forth. Well, there was something in there clogging it up. And the clog had to be removed. Okay, likewise. The more that we are praying in tongues, coupled with, the meditation in the Word, the worship, the fasting, we're unclogging things on the inside so that information from God can more easily flow through our spiritual arteries, if you will, into our soul. We're getting more information concerning how to live, what to do, and the decisions that we are supposed to make. However, at the same time, our soul is still receiving information from this natural world. You can't avoid it. It's there. Always. Constantly. And what that means is, we then are always looking at having to make decisions. Will these be faith decisions? Or flesh decisions. And not all flesh decisions are sin. For example, I don't really feel like going to church tonight. Why not? I don't know. I'm feeling a little tired. You know. Right? It's been a long week. Or, you know, I, I have other stuff. I just, I just don't really feel like going to church tonight. That is world input. That is not coming from your new nature. It's, it's not. And one of the things that I have learned to not accept the way that I used to is when I hear people say things like, well, you know, I prayed about it and I believe that's what I'm supposed to do. When I know that what you're telling me is not what is coming from God. I know it. But how do you, you know, 
people can convince themselves of anything. That's just the way it is. It's just like, well, you know, God told me that um, I'm supposed to... I've heard this. God told me I'm supposed to divorce my wife and go marry this woman over here. No, He didn't. You scumbag liar. God did not tell you that. There's no way. Now granted, I I know some people, they should have never gotten married in the first place. But, there are preachers who have said things like that. And then the people keep attending the churches. You know what? There was a song years ago, What Kind of Fool Am I? (laughs) So here we are, Christians. We get this information that's coming in. Now, let me go back to where I started and all this. Here I am. I'm spending four hours a day praying in tongues. Four hours a day praying in tongues. And part of the time, as I'm praying in tongues, I'm, I'm reading Scripture. I'm reading, like, uh, well, Ephesians. I just keep reading Ephesians over and over and over and over and over and over and over. And by the end of the week, I've read it 30 or 40 times. And I'm praying in tongues four hours a day. This is what I'm, maybe five hours a day. And I'm doing this over and over and over and over again and over again and over again. The thing is, you can pray in tongues five hours a day for 30 years and still be birthing Ishmael's over and over and over again. Abraham had a promise from God. If you do this, then over here will be the result. Abraham started doing this. But then he got world input from his loving wife who said, go be intimate with the maid. That's how we'll end up with a child. And Abraham, instead of saying and staying true to what God had said, he made a soulish decision that was not based on the Word of God, but it was based on what he saw in the world. Well, yeah, it's been ten years. And, now listen, it's been ten years and I haven't seen a son yet. Well, I've been praying in tongues for ten years and I haven't seen anything happen yet. Maybe this stuff really doesn't work. Oh, okay, that's world input. Because if the Word of God says it works, guess what? It works. So what exactly are you looking for? And the very fact that you said that, it identifies the major problem in your life, or one of them, and that major problem is you're not convinced anything's really happening when you pray in tongues. Because if you were, you wouldn't say, it's been ten years of praying in tongues and ain't nothing going on. No, you would say, it's been ten years and I'm not seeing the kind of results I was expecting. But God said something's happening, therefore it's happening whether I realize it or not. Whether I feel it or not. See this? And you can get a whole lot of world input from people in church. They're going to they're going to give you their ideas, their theology, their doctrine. 
And that was the thing. I remember, you know, going out there to Tulsa and some of these people that have been there year after year, after year after year, conference after conference, they've heard the teaching. They've heard it. And they're still dealing with some of the stuff that shouldn't be going on. And they're, they're spouting theology that's off the rail. And I'm thinking, what is going on with you? You, you should know better than this. You, what is really happening? Well, see, they may indeed have been praying in tongues three hours a day, four hours a day, whatever they've been doing, but they're not analyzing that information and making decisions from the spirit information. They're making it from the world information. There are people out there, and, and I've heard this from others, Folks that attend the conferences, attend the conferences, attend the conferences, and then they want to start arguing about scriptural truth that should have been established in them years ago. It's like, where are you coming from in all this? Where did you get this revelation? That's well, because you may be, do, quote, doing the message, but you're not receiving the fullness of what the message is doing for you. Because, see, the more you spend time, prayer, fasting, worship, and the Word, something's happening on the inside, but you make a soulish decision on what you're going to do with the information that's being passed on to you. You accept it and act on it, or you reject it and act on something else. That's just the way it is. That is why people who say, I've been doing this for a long time, and they're, they're, still, not, they're still not there. I'm not saying they're still not walking on water and raising the dead. But the change that is supposed to be taking place, that change, let me say it like this, it's being stored up on the inside, but they are compartmentalizing it somewhere and continuing to make soul decisions based on other sources of information. Now, earlier I said I hope nobody gets a hear, you know, hearing this, watching or whatever, uh, gets offended by this because there are people doing it. What I'm describing here is going on. And I'm not going to, oh, it's you, it's you, it's you. No, it, I mean, you know on the inside if it's you. You know. Am I setting myself up as, you know, the judge and jury on something like this? No, I'm not. But, I know what's happened with me. Because if I go back to that first conference that I attended in March of 1997, and all those people who were there, and I say, okay, March of 1997, that was the starting line for all of us. We're all lined up. And boom, you know, the, the starter gun shoots, and we all take off and start running this race. Okay, I've stayed in my lane. I haven't veered off in other directions. I've stayed in my lane. And I know there are things that have been purged out of my life. And I'm not talking about horrific sin and, and you know, adultery. No, I'm not talking about that. I do things that have been purged out of my life. And I know that I have grown spiritually. And I know what's happened. Now, is it possible that more could have happened in my life than what has? Absolutely. I will not tell you that's not possible. But what I'm saying is, I know what's happened with me. And I know the decisions 
that have been put before me in life. I know the input that I have received and I know the input I have rejected in favor of what has been flowing through my spirit to my soul and I have been making more and more and more decisions based on spiritual information to my soul than world information to my soul. So I know what's happened for me. And I also know this. There are people I know, male, female, you know, one or the other. (laughs) There should be a lot more going on than what there is. A lot more. And, you know, right now, if I look at somebody, they think, oh, he's talking about me. So I won't look. (laughs) There's a lot more that should be going on. A lot more. I'll just look at the camera and they'll think I'm talking to them, which I am. But again, see guys, this is, this is up to you. I mean, you're, and, and the thing is, as you're hearing this, that you know if what I'm saying applies to you. You know if it does. So what do we do at this point? Well, at this point, number one, you don't quit the prayer, fasting, the worship, and the Word. You keep doing that. However, when it comes to making decisions, when it comes to what you're going to accept as truth, you know, boy, I could go off on a tangent with that one. People that I thought knew better, you know, over the years, and they send me things about what's supposed to be true. And I think, how can you believe this? This isn't right. This doesn't line up. The thing is, guys, you have to evaluate what you're hearing, what you're receiving, what, what's inside you, what's going on. Evaluate it by the Word. Evaluate it by truth. Learn patience. Learn to spend time in the presence of God to be sure that you know that what you're doing what you're about to do, your actions, your behavior, just all of that is what is supposed to be taking place in your life. See, we're talking about, again, you know, an outpouring of God's Spirit. We're talking about revival. This is a part of it. Because we have to be that living, breathing example of people who are walking or making decisions by faith, by spiritual life and not by the things of this world. And when you do that, when you start living like that, you will have people that won't understand, family members that will criticize. I mean, everybody's different. But even Christians who don't understand this can rise up against you. You know what? You can't let it get to you. Keep pressing toward the mark. Keep do, stop birthing Ishmael's and birth Isaac's and God's will is going to be accomplished.